Yo, Phillies fans, it's Tim Malcolm, the editorial director of philliesnation.com and the host of the Phillies Nation podcast. As always, go to philliesnation.com for all of your Phillies news, rumors, information, opinion, and much more. You can find the Phillies Nation podcast on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn, and YouTube.com slash philliesnation. This week's podcast is going to be a mailbag. It is the 30th episode of the podcast, and so on the 10s, we do the mailbag. So we're going to have a bunch of viewer questions. Really, you're not viewers, you're readers, also listeners. So reader and listener questions taken from Twitter, and we're going to go mostly over the winter meetings, which are coming up on Sunday. The Phillies and every other team in baseball are going to be crowded into a hotel in Orlando, Florida, and doing a lot of sort of executive business, but also since all these executives will be in the same place at the same time, there will be moves to be made. Everything from trades to free agent signings to the Rule 5 draft, of course, happens. We'll also see if Giancarlo Stanton finally gets to go to some team, whether it's the Giants or the Cardinals or maybe the Dodgers or even the Phillies. Who knows? But uh, we'll talk about the winter meetings in the mailbag. Otherwise, that's about it. Not much else to report. Let's start the podcast. Yo, Phillies Nation. Welcome to the Phillies Nation podcast. This is episode number 30. I am Tim Malcolm, the editorial director of philliesnation.com and the host of the Phillies Nation podcast. Welcome aboard. So this is the mailbag episode. This is uh, episode 30, as I said. So every 10 episodes, we do a mailbag. And that is what we'll do this time around. We'll concentrate on the winter meetings, which start on Sunday, and the offseason at large. And so far, a pretty boring offseason, although a couple things happening this week for the Phillies. Mostly, we're all waiting for two of the big dominoes to fall. One of them is Shohai Tani, who is a starting pitcher and hitter. I guess you want to call him a hitter. You don't know whether he will hit or not. In Japan, uh, he, of course, did both in Japan, but now he's coming over to the major leagues. And every team was invited to fill out a questionnaire for Otani, and he apparently went through them with his agent and chose the teams that he wanted to interview with. Who knows if they read through everything? I don't know. But at the end of the day, seven teams were selected as finalists for Otani. The Phillies were not one of them. There was a little speculation going into the process that the Phillies could be a dark horse for Otani, mostly because A, they have a lot of money, and B, they are in a larger market, and the Phillies are obviously, uh, as far as we know, wanting to win and win pretty soon. But Otani, at the end of the day, seemed to prefer being on the West Coast and playing in a smaller market, at least than New York City. He is a finalist for the Dodgers, the Angels, the Mariners, the Padres, the Giants, the Cubs, and the Rangers. So we'll see where he chooses, what, what where he goes to. I would believe that the Mariners are the best bet. The Giants are also, just because they've been scouting him for a long time, and there's been a lot of speculation about the Giants. They would be a good bet, too. My dark horse is the Angels, just because I can see him going to L.A., but avoiding the really big spotlight of the Dodgers. I don't know why. I have no basis for that. It's just what I am saying. So 
Either way, the Phillies are not part of that, uh, that uh, I guess, sweepstakes. And instead, we will be sitting out on the benches for that. The other big story happening right now is that involving Giancarlo Stanton. And the latest news that we received, this is a couple days ago, was that there were deals in place with the Giants and the Cardinals and that the Marlins had met with both teams, but they would meet with Stanton over those teams and uh, potentially Stanton would choose if he wanted to go to one of those teams. He has, of course, the option to say yes or no to any deal. So that is still on the table. There is apparently a thought that the Dodgers could be interested. And if they are, they can hold out and just wait for as long as they want. Because if I were Stanton and the Dodgers, Giants, and Cardinals were knocking on my door, I would want to see what the Dodgers were wanting to do because the Dodgers are such a good team and it's Los Angeles and there are options for Stanton to really uh, do a lot of other things outside of baseball in that market. As for the Phillies, we have not heard anything about a pursuit of Giancarlo Stanton, even though in the initial stories about Stanton and his pursuit, the Phillies were listed along with the Cardinals and Giants as a team that could be interested in him. There hasn't been anything reported. It's possible that the Phillies are maybe offering something and they're keeping very tight-lipped. It's possible that they're they're not in it at all and they don't care. Um, there were rumors earlier on in the spring, or excuse me, the uh, the offseason. Uh, that the Phillies might be interested in first baseman Carlos Santana. If there was a real interest there, I would believe that the move would be Santana at first base, Hoskins to the outfield, or Hoskins traded, and the outfield would have a different look, and that might potentially mean Stanton. I don't know. It's just all speculation, all rumor. doesn't mean anything, so who knows? But the Phillies could be into him. We don't know. We'll only know when the news is out. But it seems as if, at least from this point of view, that the Cardinals and Giants are the teams most interested in Stanton, and one of those teams will probably get his services. Until then, that's all we know. Now, the Phillies did have other news over the week, actual news, which is good. For one, uh, they did hire, formally hire, a new bench coach, Rob Thompson, who was the bench coach for the Yankees for a number of years under Joe Girardi. Uh, And that was a uh, really good hiring, I think, for the Phils, just because they get a guy with a lot of experience who's worked in a very big market for, obviously, one of the spotlight teams in the league. And he's worked under a really good manager in Joe Girardi. Anytime you get someone with a lot of experience who's been in a good situation, it's probably a good hiring. So that's good to have with Gabe Kapler's staff. Still one more opening in Kapler's staff, which is apparently first base coach. We do not know who that person will be, but hopefully that news will come out over the next few days. It seems as if the Phillies kind of have to make that decision pretty soon. If not, I mean, they could wait for a while, but that seems ridiculous. So... Hopefully, they'll get that settled soon. The other big news is that the Phillies had uh, agreed to terms with a catcher who was in the Gulf Coast League last season, Abraham Gutierrez. Excuse me, Abraham Gutierrez. He's a catcher who was with the Braves. And, of course, the Braves, uh, a lot of players who they signed in the international signing period, were their contracts were voided because the Braves 
did some illegal things in acquiring players, and so Major League Baseball put the hammer down. They, of course, uh, suspended for life uh, John Copapella, who was the general manager of the Braves. They also um, took away a bunch of contracts from the Braves, including big star Kevin Maiton and, of course, Gutierrez, who's one of the better prospects that the Braves had from the international pool. The Phillies now have him. They signed him to... Um, a contract where they will have to pay uh, $350,000, I believe. I think that's right. Uh, the first $200,000 is automatically paid for, and the Phillies just have to make up whatever difference, and so they pay that difference. That money will come out of this year's international signing pool. Uh, the Phillies did have some money left over. They're not going to use next year's pool money, which is kind of good it just depends on what the pools you know what they say every year I guess they're waiting for specific players and there are of course whispers that the Phillies already have um, you know potentially some agreements with players for next year so either way it's a good move getting a young catcher he was in the Gulf Coast League last year 18 years old and catchers are always very valuable especially when they do have promise so Gutierrez is a nice signing I don't know where he will land as far as Phillies prospects uh, the Braves' different blogs had him kind of ranked in the lower 20s of their list. So maybe Gutierrez is somewhere around the 25 to 30 area with the Phillies. Maybe even 20 to 25. The Braves have a good system. But either way, it's a good signing for the Phillies. And certainly, uh, it's good to see them take advantage of another team's misfortune. Uh, so that is the other news of the week. Otherwise, some rumors that have been sort of Scary to, uh, scattered about here over the week, um, mostly involving Cesar Hernandez and Freddie Galvis. Galvis apparently attached to the San Diego Padres. Um, just rumors that maybe the Padres would be interested in him. Who knows? Maybe that's possible. We'll talk about that a little bit more in the mailbag. And Cesar Hernandez, uh, his name has been attached, at least in rumors, to the Mets and the Angels, which is interesting. Uh, the Angels have kind of been known as a team that might be wanting Hernandez. They don't have a second baseman right now at the major league level who's that good. So they would definitely be in the market for one. And the Angels seem to be looking to buy now to contend this year. So that could be a good move for them. The Mets, meanwhile, kind of came out of left field, but they don't really have a second baseman either. They're looking to upgrade. And so Cesar would be a good fit for them. He'd be a good fit for most teams who need a second baseman. He's good. He's one of the better second basemen in the league as far as offense, and his defense is adequate, if not above average at times. So that's a good move if any of those teams would get him. It's just a matter of what the Phillies can get in return. And if the return isn't good enough, I don't see them making that move. Again, we'll talk about that more in the mailbag. All right, mailbag time, and these are questions from Phillies Nation readers and listeners. They were taken over Twitter, and because the winter meetings begin on Sunday, this is primarily a winter meetings mailbag, off-season questions, winter meetings questions, a couple at the end that are not as much, but most of these have to do with potential trades, deals, and strategies going into the winter meetings. So here we go. First question from at Michael H2292. He asks, are the Phillies trying to move Freddie Galvis and or Cesar Hernandez? Well, trying to move them means it implies that they are looking to get rid of them, that they are stopping at nothing to get rid of them. Uh, that's not happening. At the very least, they are hoping that a team will give them an offer that they can't refuse for one, if not both of them. 
Galvis and Hernandez were both tendered contracts for 2018, which means that no matter what, if they don't get dealt, they will stay with the Phillies in 2018 and get some sort of a raise in their contract from last year, whether it's arbitration or a deal struck during the arbitration period. Not tendering a contract means that they become a free agent. So if the Phillies didn't tender a contract to Freddie Galvis last week, then he would have become a free agent and the Phillies would have had absolutely nothing there. So at the very least, they'll be part of the team next year. But the Phillies, I'm sure, are listening to options for both of those guys. And there have been rumors. Freddie Galvis has been attached to the San Diego Padres. Uh, Team might be interested in them, in him. Cesar Hernandez has been attached to the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim and also the Mets. Now, who knows if these are actual true rumors or just rumor rumors or whatever, but there is scuttlebutt. So that means that you'll probably hear some things over the next couple weeks and potentially there will be a deal for one of these guys, if not both of them. But at the very least, I'm going to tell you right now, the Phillies are not trying to move them. Uh, They're looking for value. So we'll see what happens if they get something that they really want for one of these guys. If not both of them, then the deal will be made. But I don't think the Phillies are actively trying to get rid of Freddy Galvis and or Cesar Hernandez at the moment. But keep your eyes out for trades. Second question from at Chen Hao 57. That's at Chen underscore H-A-O 57. He asks, what about a three-way deal? So the Phillies would get Michael Fulmer, who is a pitcher with the Detroit Tigers right now. Detroit would get two top 10 prospects and a top 20 prospect from the Los Angeles Angels, plus a top 15 prospect from the Phillies. And the Angels would get Cesar Hernandez. It's actually not a terrible deal. I think that the Angels are giving up too much in that scenario. Cesar Hernandez is an everyday player, so they would have to give up probably a little more than the Phillies. But, you know, two top 10 prospects and a top 20 prospect, that seems like a lot. Um, I would say maybe one top 10 prospect and a top 20 prospect. The Phillies giving up a top 15 prospect. Yeah, that's probably close to right. It might be better than that. Um, I don't know who that prospect would be. Someone like maybe a Franklin Killame. I don't know. Uh, Michael Fulmer. That's an interesting name. Now, the Detroit Tigers are certainly rebuilding right now. That's no, you know, that's not something I'm making up here. They're, they're looking to rebuild. And Fulmer's a good young pitcher. 24 years old last year, 3.83 ERA, 114 strikeouts, 40 walks. Good young pitcher. Here's the thing, though. Teams who are rebuilding and have really good young pitchers sort of want to keep those good young pitchers if they're cost-effective. And Fulmer is still very much in his pre-arbitration years. So Detroit also has money. They don't need to trade Michael Fulmer. They would have to be blown away if they want to trade Michael Fulmer. Now, getting a bunch of prospects from two different teams might be interesting for them. The Angels don't really have a great farm system. The Phillies have a better farm system. So as I said, the Angels might be giving up too much here. Maybe the Phillies would have to give up more. I don't know. But it's an interesting premise that there'd be a three-team trade to get Cesar over to the Angels and get a pitcher back is in uh, Michael Fulmer. Now, I think the Phillies could potentially just trade for Fulmer themselves. But again, they would have to give up a lot in that kind of a deal. You know, you're talking about a guy who is in pre-arb, a good young pitcher, 24 years old. The Phillies would probably have to give up three pretty decent prospects for Fulmer, and that might even be too little. I'm not sure. Uh, But a three-team trade is interesting. I just don't know if the Angels have enough, and really, I don't know if the Phillies 
maybe would want to do that kind of trade. I don't know. But uh, it's an interesting premise nonetheless. And hey, we're thinking outside of the box. And maybe the Phillies might do that here in the offseason. Third question is from at Connor Walker 24. That's Connor C-O-N-O-R Walker 24. His question is, what is the best piece to acquire in a Freddie Galvis deal? Pitcher, infield, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a good question because what is Freddie Galvis worth is really the question here. And what do the Phillies need if they're going to trade Galvis? Well, let me just say first off that if you're trading Freddie Galvis, you're probably not going to get anything of really major note here. Nothing against Freddie Galvis. I'm not trying to put you know any sort of opinion on him here, but... Look at the facts. Freddie Galvis is not a very good offensive player. Uh, He was a little better last year than the year before. That's true. But he doesn't give you a lot of on base. He gives you some power, but it's kind of off and on. And, you know, he's going to demand 600 plate appearances a year if he's going to start. And with that on base percentage, it's just not a great thing. Now, the defense is obviously wonderful. He's one of the best defensive infielders in the game. Also, he is somewhat of a clubhouse leader for the Phillies, and he could be that for another team. He's been in the league enough now where he can kind of slide into any clubhouse and assume some sort of a leadership role. So there is value for Galvis, but I don't know if Freddie Galvis is worth top five prospect value or everyday major league player value. So when you're talking about a Freddie Galvis trade, you're probably thinking a little bit lower on the totem pole, maybe something like a good middle reliever, maybe something like a back-end starter who maybe is in triple A or double A, and you know you can hope that he becomes a better starter as he develops. Maybe you're talking about a utility infielder type or a fourth outfielder type. I don't think you're getting any sort of everyday player for Freddie Galvis. Now, the team that has been most rumored attached to Freddie Galvis is the San Diego Padres. Again, we don't know if the Padres really are interested in Galvis or if it's just a fit there, but there are a couple players in the Padres system that could be interesting to the Phillies. I'm looking at Brett Kennedy, who's uh, a starting pitcher for the San Antonio Missions last year, Double A. Uh, he was pretty good pitcher for the for the Padres. You know, someone who doesn't have amazing stuff, but sort of could be a back end starter down the line. Uh, another guy like this uh, might be Hudson Potts. Excuse me, not Hudson Potts. He's third baseman, Pedro Avila who was acquired in the Derek Norris trade uh, last year with the Padres. He's a starting pitcher who was in low A ball for them, right-hander. Again, good pitcher, led the organization in strikeouts last year, had a lot of time out there, so he could be someone. Uh, Hudson Potts is a third baseman in low A. Um, You know, good home run hitter. Uh, He would also probably develop over a couple more seasons. If the Phillies get someone like a Manny Machado, then maybe Hudson Potts isn't the right way to go, but Machado can slide in different places in the infield, and you're not necessarily thinking about tomorrow when you're getting a guy like that. So I think you're talking more about a team top 25 or 30 prospect and someone who maybe can make the majors within two years. You could potentially get a major leaguer who is you know, a sixth or seventh inning reliever, maybe a number five pitcher, but I wouldn't I'd be very shocked if the Phillies were to get something of real value for Freddie Galvis. And again, that's nothing against Galvis, but he doesn't give you a lot of offense. He's more of a utility guy on most teams, and he's getting paid probably somewhere around $7 million next year with arbitration. So that's a hefty price for a lot of teams. And a team like San Diego probably doesn't want that kind of money for uh, you know for a guy unless they're going to give up something of smaller note in their prospect bin. So don't think high for Freddie Galvis. If they're going to trade Freddie Galvis, then the Phillies get someone who they're really interested in, but maybe on the surface doesn't look like a top draw. So there you go. 
Next question is from at Hugh Arkinson. That's at Hugh underscore Arkinson. He asks, what are the Phillies plans with Tommy Joseph this winter? And that's a good question because I feel like we haven't talked about Tommy Joseph. I kind of feel like we forgot that Tommy Joseph existed. (laughs) Um, And, you know, that's kind of just the way it is with Tommy Joseph and the situation at first base with the Phillies. We believe that Reese Hoskins has obviously made his case to be the first baseman of the future for the Phillies. And, I mean, let's be honest, he has. Tommy Joseph is more of a power guy who doesn't really hit for average, doesn't have speed, doesn't really play great defense at first base. The one thing he does well, he doesn't do as well as most guys, which is hit home runs. So, yeah, Tommy Joseph is really not part of this future. So what do the Phillies do? Well, trade him for very little. I mean, that's really what it is. Um, You know, they could release him. Uh, Hopefully they can get some sort of value for him. The value won't be much. If they get a top 30 team prospect from somebody, then they'd be really lucky. I think more than anything, you're looking to get like a, like a flyer, you know, a, a sort of lottery ticket prospect who maybe you can put in double A or high A ball and just see if it works out. Uh, but I don't know if they're going to get a lot more for Tommy Joseph. If they get some sort of a major league reliever for him, I think that would be a win. But again, the value on him isn't very strong. Teams aren't looking for him. You know, the Phillies were sort of dangling him around the deadline. Those were the rumors at least, and there were nobody interested in Tommy Joseph. So I don't think you're going to get anybody very interested in him unless they can get something, a very small note that they feel sort of lucky about. We'll see, but I'd be very surprised if Tommy Joseph was in the organization for spring training. If he is, then the Phillies are maybe thinking three steps ahead. Maybe they are looking at Reese Hoskins as a left fielder. Maybe they're looking at Tommy Joseph to go back to catcher somehow. That's not going to happen. But I'd be very surprised if he was on this team in spring training. The Phillies will probably try to get some sort of prospect for him. And when I say prospect, I mean someone who can maybe be a lottery ticket out of the minor leagues. Sad as it is, that's probably what the reality is here. Next question is from Randy Ballin at rballin21. He asks... When are they going to trade Franco? (laughs) So, yeah, that's the issue, right? When are the Phillies going to trade Michael Franco? A lot of people talk about Michael Franco being not worth having on the team anymore. And look, he's not been good. That's clear cut. We've We've written about it many times now. 2016, he took a step down. 2017, he continued to take steps down. The plate... Recognition was not the best. He swung at a lot of pitches that he probably shouldn't have and hit a lot of weak contact balls. Everything from pop-ups on the infield to ground balls to the left side that were easily eaten up and thrown for outs. When he got lucky, he got lucky, and he hit some home runs. He hit over 20 of them last year, but he got a lot of playing time and a lot of at-bats. He did cut down on his strikeouts, which is a great thing, but the walks didn't necessarily go up that much. Michael Franco still needs a lot of work. Maybe a new hitting coach will help. Maybe a new approach will help. But those are reasons why the Phillies have to hold on to him right now. I know a lot of people don't like Michael Franco because they see Dominic Brown or they see someone who is failing and there's no point in having him on the team anymore. But this is kind of the point of having a rebuilding team. I know the Phillies are close to the point where they're not rebuilding anymore and they're looking to contend, but they are still in rebuilding mode. And what that means is they still don't have all the pieces together for the future. 
They still need to figure out what they have at a, at a couple positions. And I'm talking about guys who are already on the team and we feel confident about. J.P. Crawford, Jorge Alfaro, even Reese Hoskins. These guys aren't necessarily proven at the major league level. I know, Reese Hoskins hit a bunch of home runs last season. But that was in a couple months, and in September, pitchers figured him out a little bit. We need to see how these guys do over the course of next season. The same thing with Michael Franco. Yes, he's been in the league for a while, but it takes a while sometimes for guys to really become great major league players. One name I'll bring up, Jose Bautista. Jose Bautista was floundering in the major leagues for a number of years. The Pirates gave up on him. What happened? He went to Toronto, who who finally gave him a little bit more of a chance and hoped that he would turn into something. He turned into one of the best five hitters in in the game for a couple years. I'm not saying Michael Franco is going to turn into Jose Bautista. I'm not even saying that he'll turn into half of Jose Bautista. But what I'm saying is the Phillies are at a point where they can give him more of a chance. And there is no point in letting him go right now. His value is nothing. If you try to trade Michael Franco right now, you're getting nothing for him. You're essentially getting what you would get for Tommy Joseph. And the difference between Michael Franco and Tommy Joseph is this. A, Michael Franco has demonstrated at the major league level that he can hit for power, hit for average, get on base at a high clip, and field at a tough position. Tommy Joseph hasn't done all those things. B, Franco's the same age as Tommy Joseph. That's a good thing. C, as I said before, Franco can play third base. He's actually a decent defender out there. Not the best. He's not a top five defender at third base, but he can hold his own. Franco has proven that he can hit at a high level. He hasn't done so lately, but the talent is still there. And when you're a third baseman, you have to give a little bit more rope to that guy than you would a first baseman. So yes, Franco has no value. They can trade him right now, but you're not getting anything for him. What if he went to another team who gave him a shot and he became half of Jose Bautista, or three quarters of Jose Bautista, or all of Jose Bautista. We'd be kicking ourselves. Now, he could turn into Dominic Brown 2.0 and never play well again. That could very well happen. But you know what? The Phillies are in no... There's no point in why you wouldn't try it out a little bit longer. They're in no position to just let him go right now. The ball's in their court. They can let Franco play the first half of this coming season at third base, see what, he, see what he has. If he's the same old Michael Franco as he's been the last two years, all right, then you can make your move. But trading him is going to get you nothing then. Trading him is going to get you nothing now. But if he becomes good, and by midseason of this coming year, he's hitting 350 with a 400 on base percentage, and he's got 15 home runs or something like that, Suddenly, you have a piece for the future that you're really confident about. Or at the very least, you can flip him for something if you really want. And you'll actually get something for him. This is not the time to trade Michael Franco. Just not yet. They have to see a little bit more of what he can give them. And if it's nothing, it's nothing. And they can move that in a couple months. But in this offseason, right now, there's no point. 
also there's no other third baseman in the organization that can step in and play. I know people are saying J.P. Crawford can become the third baseman or Scott Kingery can become the third baseman. J.P. Crawford hasn't played a lot of third base. Plus, if you're putting J.P. Crawford at third base, you're going to put, what, Freddie Gallus at shortstop and Cesar is going to play second or Scott Kingery? Think about that for a second. You have absolutely no power at second base, shortstop, or third base. By the way, Odubel Herrera in center field only has small power. And Nick Williams, although he has power, is still developing. Same thing for Reese Hoskins. Aaron Altair, kind of the same thing. You need power in this lineup. And Michael Franco at least gives you the possibility of power. You can't just trade a guy and say, well, Crawford can step in. You're getting rid of power. You're getting rid of some potential there. Same thing if you put Kingery at third base and you try to make it work with Kingery at third and Galvez at short and Hernandez at second. Again, you need power. So it's not in the Phillies position right now to trade Michael Franco. They should hold on to him for at least a little bit longer, see if he can catch fire and turn his career around. If he can't, then you'll lose and it's over and you move on. But trading him right now is the same as trading him in three more months. You're not getting anything. It's not worth it. Keep seeing what you can do with him and see what you can do with him with a new hitting coach. Who knows? Maybe he'll have a renaissance with new coaching behind him. It's been done before. It can be done now. Let's say, don't trade him now. They're not going to trade him now. If they do trade him now, then something bigger is on the horizon, and I didn't see it coming. But I don't think it's happening. It shouldn't happen, and they should wait a little bit longer before they make any big judgments on Michael Franco. The next question is from at Wit. That's pretty obvious, although the wit is with a D, so it's a little different than what you're used to. The question is this. What's happening with the bullpen? <laughs> That's the question. So what is happening with the bullpen? I mean, it looks pretty good, right? We saw a renaissance of sorts with the bullpen at the end of 2017, and there are some good players in this group. First off, you have Hector Neris, who looked like Hector Neris for most of the season last year, closing games. You also have Edubre Ramos, who... Looks like he's going to be pretty decent out there. I mean, he started slowly, but he caught up toward the end of the season. Luis Garcia was somewhat of a revelation out there in the eighth inning. I don't know if he's more of an eighth inning guy or more of like a sixth or seventh inning guy, but he looks like an option for next year. You also have some decent lefties. Hobie Milliner pitched pretty decently when given the shot. Adam Morgan was a revelation as well out of the left-handed side. So maybe he's part of the bullpen next year. Also have a couple younger guys, Victor Arano, Ricardo Pinto still maybe has a chance here. Um, Hey, Mark Leiter as a long man, potentially. You still also have maybe moving some guy to the bullpen, a la Nick Pavetta or Vince Velasquez. Again, that's not been talked about, and there's been no stories at all about that stuff. But those are options that the Phillies can maybe use in the future. Point is this. They have a pretty decent working baseline for the bullpen. If they're going to make any additions to the bullpen, and I think they will, they're probably looking for more of like a seventh inning guy or maybe even an eighth inning guy, but someone who can sort of provide some relief, uh, veteran stabilizing, uh, a veteran stabilizer for the bullpen, I should say. So Pat Neshek is not out of the question, bringing him back. He seemed to like his time in Philadelphia. Everybody seemed to like him. He'd be great to have in there in the seventh or eighth innings, uh, helping out with Naris again and Luis Garcia and Edubre Ramos and one of the lefties. That's a possibility. They could go out and get any number of the relievers that are out there in free agency. There are a ton of them. I did a weird, funny Top 100 podcast a couple of days ago and went over all the 
relief options there. They could get any number of guys. There's a bunch of them. You know, someone like Brandon Morrow could be out there. He's one of the higher-end relievers that are available this year, but he's someone that also could just step into a setup role. They're not going to be going for a closer. It doesn't look like they could actually trade one of these guys like a Hector Neris. I don't know if that's going to happen, but that could be in the cards. The Phillies will probably look for at least one veteran reliever to come in and help with the bullpen. I don't know if they need an overhaul. I think they're probably in good shape with the baseline that they have, and they have some good arms in AAA that they can convert to relief or that they can bring up and make relievers. I mean, someone like Sir Anthony Dominguez could be someone in the future who turns into a reliever. There's a lot of options. The Phillies don't need to make any big relief pitching uh, uh, additions this offseason. Just one really good veteran addition would be really all that we need. Probably some minor league deals and guys getting flyers in spring training. But for the most part, no big changes with the bullpen. The next question is from Zachary East, 412, at Zachary underscore East, 412. He asks the eternal question, is now the best time to trade for Mike Trout? (laughs) Well, all right. So we've talked about Mike Trout a lot, obviously, and it's hard not to, right? The guy is unbelievable. He is the star player that the Phillies need. He's the star player that it feels like the Phillies will have at some point, right? He's from the Philadelphia area. He loves being in the Philadelphia area. He loves being home. He's going to, what, every Eagles home game this season? He's everywhere, right? The the Eagles are actually practicing at the uh, at Angel Stadium right as we speak because they're getting ready to play the Rams on Sunday. This is ridiculous, right? It seems too good to be true that the Phillies and Mike Trout would be playing together at some point here in the future. It's not the best time to trade for Mike Trout. In fact, they're not going to trade for Mike Trout. Why? It's simple. The Angels are not going to trade Mike Trout, okay? They're not. You can throw Sixto Sanchez, J.P. Crawford, Mickey Moniak, Adam Hazley, and, and whoever else you want at the Angels. They're not trading Mike Trout, okay? It's it, We're putting it out there right now. Word for word, put a period after every word that I say here. They're not trading for Mike Trout because the Angels are not trading Mike Trout. Why? Here's why. The Angels are trying to contend. I know, people think that they can't, but they can. They were pretty close to the postseason last season. They have Justin Upton on a long-term deal right now, so that happened. That was the first thing that happened in the offseason. People kind of forget Justin Upton, the Angels agreed to terms with him for a uh, long-term deal. So they are trying to give Mike Trout complimentary pieces to go for a championship this year. They're also in in Shohei Otani. They could get him. In fact, they are my sleeper team to get Otani. Imagine Otani playing with Mike Trout. He's in. He's in. Imagine an outfield of Justin Upton, Mike Trout, and Shohei Otani every couple days. Or maybe Otani plays DH for the Angels, uh, but then he also pitches every couple days and throws 100 miles an hour. Imagine how fun that team would be to watch. The Angels see all the dollar signs in their eyes if they bring Shohei Otani on board. Also, they got Kevin Maiton from the Angel, uh, from the Braves, and the Braves' uh, whole ridiculous, you know, voided contract scandal. There, the Angels are trying to win. They're trying to contend. They realize that they don't have much more time with Mike Trout because Trout 
if the Angels do not win anything over the next couple of years, is going to go bye-bye. He's not going to sign a long-term deal with the Angels and free agency. He is going to become a free agent and demand $400 million. And I will tell you right then and there, the very first team that will be in line for Mike Trout when that happens are the Philadelphia Phillies. I am, I am, I will almost put, I'm not going to put money on it, but I would almost put thousands of dollars on Mike Trout becoming a Philly in free agency when that happens. But now it's not happening. The Angels are not trading Mike Trout. It's just not going to happen. This is not the time because it's not happening. Take it out of your mind. Forget that it ever existed. They're not trading him. Goodbye. The Angels are trying to contend this year. They are not trading the best player that has played baseball since Barry Bonds. Not happening. Next question from It's Me, Dennis. At It Is Me, Dennis. He asks, Are the Phillies building a more competitive team this year than the previous ones? And I would imagine that he's talking about previous as in 2016, 15, 17, you know, the last couple of years. Yeah, I think they are. I mean, I don't know. They haven't really built the team yet. They have a sort of a, a, a blueprint. They have a foundation here between Crawford and Hoskins and Williams and Altair and Alfaro and then Nola and potentially one of these pitchers who was kind of out there in the ether between Eikhoff and Velasquez and Pavetta and Eflin and Lively. They're building a foundation there. So they're certainly looking at being more competitive here. Now we'll see what happens in the offseason, but I would assume that the Phillies are going to try to get at least one starting pitcher, if not two, who are going to help them be competitive. And I'm not talking about Jeremy Hellickson and Clay Buckholtz. I'm talking about guys who can slot into the top of a rotation. You know, a number two pitcher, maybe a number three or four pitcher, that kind of thing. They're also going to probably look to get maybe an outfielder. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen, but there's been talk about it. And that could either happen this year or next year. But whether it's a fourth outfielder or a star outfielder, that's also something that's in the cards here. The Phillies will definitely try to be more competitive this year. Just by nature of the fact that they have better players in their roster than they did in the years past, between Crawford and Alfaro and Hoskins and Altair and Williams, the offensive core here, to me, at least from my eye test and from what I saw over the past year, looks to be better than a core that involves Cameron Rupp and Freddie Galvis and you know whatever the heck we were putting out there in the outfit. Remember a couple of years ago we had... a. Uh, I don't even remember their names anymore. Um, the guy that they got from the Angels, well, who played for the Angels, who played left field and center field. I can't even remember names anymore. It's been, it feels like it was 10 years ago that the Phillies had really, really bad outfielders on this team. That's not going to happen now. The Phillies are in it to at least be competitive. So, yeah, they're building a more competitive team. We'll see what happens over the offseason. But, yeah, they're building a more competitive team. That's that's not even a question. They're definitely doing that this year. The next question is from Chris Antasi. I hope I got that right. At Chris Antasi, A-N-T-O-S-Y. Peter Burgess, by the way. Peter Burgess is the guy who they got a couple years ago. They're not. There's no Peter Burgess starting for the Phillies this coming year. Or Tyler Goodell. That's not happening. They're, they're building a more competitive team. Anyways, Chris Antasi asks, When does Nola get signed long-term? Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola, when does he get signed long-term? We actually had a piece on Phillies Nation about this. Aaron Nola is potentially, you know, in line now for a contract extension. It's about the right time. I think the one thing that would be holding the Phillies back is health. They want to see Aaron Nola get through a little bit more time healthy and not have any injuries. Look, starting pitching by nature is very fragile, 
and you don't want to necessarily commit big money and big bucks to a guy because pitchers get hurt a lot. But Aaron Nola is definitely the best pitcher that the Phillies have had on a mound starting games since Cole Hamels. So if Aaron Nola starts out the 2018 season pretty well, I would imagine that we'd start hearing buzzes about a contract extension. I'm surprised it hasn't been talked about yet. And again, I think maybe the Phillies are just kind of a little worried about the injuries and want to see him out there a little bit more. But you're getting there. We're pretty much getting there. Give it a couple more months, I think, then we can really start demanding that Nola gets an extension, as long as he's pitching well. But certainly, we're getting to that period. If they did it now, if they did it in the next couple weeks, I think that would be fine, and we would be very happy about it. I could even get him on somewhat of a discount, which would be good. But if they wait another five or six months, then that's fine too. But I think you're getting to a point where the Aaron Nola contract extension is definitely a thing that is on people's minds. And so hopefully that happens. Hopefully pitches well. And hopefully we do have at least one starting pitcher who we can count on into the future. The next question is from Fred Stewart at Fred L.Y. Stu. S-T-E-W, Fredly Stew, I would imagine. He asks, how does the job description of a first and third base coach differ from a bench coach? So it's actually um, good. That's a good question because people don't kind of ask about the sort of ins and outs and and, and the sort of 101s of baseball sometimes because we kind of forget that these things exist. But the Phillies obviously made a bunch of coaching changes over the past couple of weeks. Gabe Kapler's staff is almost set. Still doesn't have a first base coach. And we'll see what happens over the next couple of days there with that. But they did get a new bench coach. We know about that. Rob Thompson, who was the bench coach for the Yankees for a number of years under Joe Girardi, is now the new bench coach of the Phillies. So what's the difference? So a bench coach, and this is, I'm actually looking at MLB.com. They have on their website a glossary of the different coaching staff uh, uh, positions. So this is actually a really good resource. If you go to MLB.com slash glossary slash positions, you can find the different uh, definitions of all the coaching positions. So look it up. But the bench coach, they say is, quote, typically considered the right-hand man to his team's manager and helps to foster a positive environment in the clubhouse as well as communication between the player roster and coaching staff. So, in essence, a bench coach is going to help the manager make decisions, is the right-hand man, is the guy that bounces ideas off of, wants to make sure that he's getting it right, all that kind of stuff. Bench coach also, according to MLB, steps in to act as manager when the regular manager is unavailable, often as a result of being ejected ejected from a game. So, what does this mean? Rob Thompson is basically going to aid and consult and be a sounding board and be a, you know, uh, an idea man with Gabe Kapler, which is great because Gabe Kapler has absolutely no major league managerial experience. In fact, he has no major league coaching experience. So having a very experienced veteran coach like Rob Thompson out there who has been with one of the best organizations in baseball for a number of years and learned with one of the best managers in baseball and Joe Girardi, that can only be good. So that's what Rob Thompson's going to do. He's going to work with Gabe Kapler, help him out in making decisions, be a conduit to the players, develop relationships with the players on a more sort of macro level, and be part of that everyday in the dugout experience, working with guys and talking about at-bats and talking about strategy and talking about where they should be out in the field and that kind of stuff, bigger picture stuff uh, that you don't have to go and, and work on a practice field, sort of the bigger picture talks. 
Now, the first and third base coach, first base coach does this, stands on the first baseline and helps runners with going from first to second and first to third and figuring out the times that pitchers are taking to get to the plate so they can figure out how if they're if they're able to steal bags off of them and stuff like that. Generally, that's what a first base coach does. Third base coach generally stands at the third baseline and is the relay guy for signals from the dugout to players at the plate. So if you know, Gabe Kapler is saying we should bunt here. Then he's going to tell the the first base, the third base coach, who then relays the sign to the batter. Uh, third base coach also obviously helps out with sending guys to the plate when there are plays into the outfield or even in the infield, and guys are running from second base or first base to third. They're thinking, well, should I send him to the plate or not? And he does that stuff. Also, the first and third base coaches sometimes are also coaches for the defense. So a first base coach might also be the infield coach and he'll work with the infielders on a regular basis as far as how to position against teams going into the video room and talking about, well, you know, you see Joey Votto has this kind of split. You want to maybe play a shift on him like this. That's what the infield coach will do. The outfield coach will do the same thing for the outfielders. And sometimes your first and third base coaches will be an infield coach, an outfield coach, that kind of thing too. So the bench coach is more of a big picture guy, works with the manager, makes decisions with the manager, and has relationships with the players on a bigger level. First and third base coach are mostly there to be on the field and in the game situations, make the decisions and relay decisions, but they will also potentially be defensive coaches for the teams. And the final question is from Bruce Hepke at B Hepke, H-E-P-K-E. He asks... How will Gabe Kapler handle the first time Odubel Herrera blows through a stop sign at third base? Okay, it's Odubel Herrera question. I love Odubel Herrera questions. Let me preface this by saying that I love Odubel Herrera. I think he's amazing. I think there's nothing really wrong with him. He does make mistakes, but all players do. And it is a crime that people hate on Odubel Herrera as much as they do. He is really awesome and can play well offensively and defensively. Now then. Odubel Herrera, like every player, will make mistakes. Gabe Kapler's job as manager of the Phillies is to understand why his players make mistakes or at least get a sense of what happens when they do make those mistakes. Hopefully, Gabe Kapler will be out in front of the players before they make the mistakes. So when a player does make a mistake, Gabe knows that it really was a mistake and they're working on it and they have plans to fix it. Odubel Herrera makes mistakes. Again, every player does. It's just that Odubel Herrera's mistakes are of a different breed than a lot of other players. I'm sure Gabe Kapler is talking with Odubel and maybe even working with a coach or two coaches who know Odubel or want to work with Odubel and get a sense of the kind of guy that he is, the kind of things that he thinks about, the kind of things that make him tick and don't tick. Hopefully, as Gabe Kapler has talked about in his press conference and in the interviews that he's had with the media, he's going to develop a relationship with Odubel and other players that is going to result in understanding these guys on a better level than just game by game. They know the kind of guys that they are, the kind of relationships that they have, what makes them go. And if that happens, then Odubel's mistakes will really just be mistakes and they won't be a big deal. If they are big deals, then Gabe will handle it. And if he makes way too many mistakes, then they'll handle it in a more severe way, as you would in any any kind of workplace. But trust me, Gabe Kapler knows that Odubel Herrera makes mistakes that some players typically don't. He's probably going to work on it. If he doesn't, then that's a problem with Gabe Kapler and understanding his players. And that'll show pretty quickly. But 
let's say Odubel Herrera blows through a stop sign at third base. What is Gabe going to do? I don't know. Maybe I'll pull him aside and say, hey, we're working on this thing. I know that that just happened. I want you to know that that's not the way we should be doing it, but I know we're working on it and we're going to get it better next time. Maybe he'll pull him aside and say, hey, man, we talked about this a million times and this didn't work out. We really have to work on this. Hopefully it's something like that and not, what the hell is your problem? You suck. You can't do that again or I'm benching you. Working with guys, working with any kind of character, whether you're in baseball or a small business or you are the CEO of an investment firm, working with your employees means understanding them in multiple levels, knowing what makes them work, what makes them tick, and developing relationships that are mutual and that are based on trust. If Gabe Kapler has the trust of his players, like Odubel Herrera, then Odubel will know that, yeah, I shouldn't be blowing through a stop sign. It was a bad move, and I'm working to make it better. He's not going to be 100% perfect, just as any employee in any work environment will not be 100% perfect ever. But the key will be that Gabe Kapler knows his players well and gets them to be the best kinds of players they can be. And when they make mistakes, they know that they made a dumb mistake, and they move on, and they're better the next time. Let's see what happens. Let's give Gabe Kapler the benefit of the doubt. Let's give Odubel Herrera a little more room. We'll see what happens over the course of the year. Hopefully, it means good things. If it doesn't, we'll talk about it. We'll get mad together. But until then, don't worry about it. Baseball is baseball. Fun is fun. Have fun watching it. And that's the mailbag. Well, that's it. My thanks to bensound.com for the music for the podcast. Also, thanks to all of you readers and listeners for your questions. It was great to get some good questions uh, about the Phillies in the offseason. Hopefully, there'll be a lot more happening over the next couple of days. The winter meetings begin on Sunday, and then maybe we'll talk some trades and some free agent signings. We'll see. I will try to get a podcast together for that. Maybe bring in a guest or two to talk about what the Phillies might do over the winter meetings and what the typical strategy will be for the Phillies this year. I see a lot of smaller moves, maybe one big trade for a pitcher, but we'll see how that goes. That is it for the Phillies Nation podcast. Thanks for listening. I am Tim Malcolm. We will catch you probably in a few days. See you soon.